from phx.fm. This is Conversation with the Rabbi, featuring open, honest dialogue and sometimes unconventional perspectives on the world we all share. What do you think? I think it was great. I'm shaking. I think that I'm going to be fired as soon as my board listens to it. I understood from our conversation yesterday and from our conversations in the past how important it is to you that truth is important, that hypocrisy is angering even, I think, to you. Yeah. And it probably should be that way to more people, to be quite honest. Like if we were all a less tolerant of hypocrisy, we'd have more interesting conversations. So you say you're shaking and you think you're going to be fired. Like, which part of it do you think? No, uh, no, I, you know, this, as I said yesterday, this is the first time that I'm having as open as possible of a conversation about this topic publicly. Yeah. I don't know how a Jewish liberal person will hear me. Right. Will they think that I am a racist or will they understand what I'm trying to say? That is my question mark. As I said, I have no reparations, reparations. Okay, so we add another $10 on our tax bill for the next 10 years, 300 million people, add another $10, blah, 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 or whatever, 10, 15, 100. I don't know. Again, I'm not, <laughs> I, I am not, I, I'm not an economist, so I do not know what the economic of it will look like. Or you give scholarships to everybody, whatever. It doesn't bother me. It's a, if, because if it is the right thing to do, it's the right thing to do. Yeah. The point that I don't understand is that the white people in this country had 400 years a head start. Okay. So the Zulu in Africa had a thousand years head start versus the Burundi. I don't know. The, the another tribe. So you can't figure, those are structural things within history that you can't undo one and not the other. I think it came through very clearly in your conversation with him that you are open and exploring this and just kind of wrapping your head around it. I don't think anything egregious happened here. I actually think it was great because it's messy. Like, what are we going to do? It's a lightning rod topic. It's tough. It's difficult. And it gets the most important. It's the most important. The best part of all of this, I, for me, my, if I can say, okay, what did I win out of, win, you know, it's not a competition, but what did I win out of it is it was completely taken aback when I said, I have no problem with the reparations. Right. Because he came from a point of view that he thought that I'm not really understanding their suffering. No, I understand. And if the reparations are needed, are needed. My issue is, so somebody has a head start from you. So what? So it's going to take me. 200 years until my great-grandkids will leave, will have the same type of wealth than the Kennedys. Who cares? Why is that important? I think we got stuck a little in the conversation. There became a point where the same things were kind of being said a couple different times. Yes. But I don't think inherently anything in those exchanges was problematic. And, and, I, and I truly, I'm trying to understand me as a Jewish person. I don't come to you and say, hey, you did not go through anti-Semitism. Therefore, you are 10 steps ahead of me. Therefore, give me something. No, I would never dream of that. Right. And I suspect that this has as much to do with a kind of political and economic ideology 
that, by the way, I am 100% sure you will also find in the black community, I guarantee you, you will find black politically and economically conservative people who will say, we don't want a handout. There's no dignity in this. It's not what we want. You could say that, but like, you don't speak for me when you say that. So I know there's a complexity on this issue that it's not always going to be reflected by the advocates for, right? Okay. I understand. And when he said at the end, you know, there's plenty of folks in the black community that say, you know, you don't speak for me. It's not only the color of his skin that they're going to refer to. Absolutely. I understand. I think we have to remember that the conversation doesn't have to do all the work <laughs> on all the things, right? Sure, sure, sure. But on, on reparations, this is just, it's interesting because we did get kind of hooked on that topic. If you and I, this is a stupid undergraduate philosophy type hypothetical. If we had a time machine and we went back to some point in the late 40s, early 50s, I don't know, right? We went back to Nuremberg. We went somewhere after the immediacy of the Holocaust had turned into the aftermath of the Holocaust, okay? But it's still in that tumultuous moment of now, which was a long now, right? Hasn't ended probably. And we were having this discussion with somebody who was a passionate advocate for reparations for the Jewish community in Europe. It's not possible to really answer this, but what do you think your position would be at that time? I don't know what my position would have been at that time. I can tell you a few data points. Number one, when Ben-Gurion agreed to reparations to the state of Israel from Germany, that created a political crisis for his government. There were as many Jews in Israel that wanted reparation as many that did not want. Because they said, you cannot buy me. You cannot buy the suffering of my people. You know, you cannot repair the damage done. And so there were many that said, absolutely not. And also throughout the Jewish world, you have many individuals that never accepted money from, the, from Germany or Austria. And there were others that did accept it, etc., etc. So even within the Jewish world, that was a very contentious issue. Should we accept or should we not accept? It reminds me a little bit on the concept of should we as a medical community benefit from the experiments done by Mengele? Those are serious questions that ethicists ask themselves. Yeah. Those are deep ethical questions that I don't think that there is one and only answer. Just like with equity, I don't think that necessarily my current position is the one and only position that could exist. My argument against what he was saying, whether we call it equity or something else, is I will never have the same, it will take me so much longer to reach where they are. That is something that I don't understand. I understand the concept of reparation, that they can come and say, let's create a fund, a $3 billion fund that will give uh, scholarships to college for the next uh, 10 years to uh, A students. You need to work hard to become an A student, but if you're an A student, you get uh, College, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just spitballing, throwing ideas out. I actually think that the crux of what you're saying also can be connected to what I was trying to insert in the middle of the conversation about this tension between the personal life history 
I was born in November 1973. My life started at that point. And so the advantages and disadvantages that I have faced really only begin there. Like what happened before November 1973 is irrelevant. It doesn't affect. And my life trajectory has unfolded in an environment where those historical effects are still very real and have given me advantages. This is what my mother did not understand. Right. And how do you measure that? How do you measure the fact that I come and belong to a people, to a nation, to a culture that has been, hands down, persecuted among the worst of all? Yes. And at the same time, I personally was born in an affluent family. I had affluency throughout my life. And then I suffered um, failure in some businesses that made me go almost homeless. And then I rebuilt myself from the ashes, from being almost homeless. Not almost, like, you know. It's these two interlocking levels. Right. So should somebody give me something? Do somebody owes me something? Nobody owes me a dime for me as my as Michael. Nobody owes me anything. Right. Here's the interesting thing. Your example of Ben-Gurion is important because there were people working for, advocating for, making the arrangements the negotiations, right? Like this stuff has to, it devolves to bureaucracy. 100%. Same with the South African example. Not only the work of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, which of course gets a lot of coverage as it should, but also the very, very important but boring work of rebuilding a government in a country where every governmental structure was connected to apartheid, how do we build a government for South Africa that is reflective of the population? And do they have equity in South Africa today? I have no idea. I don't know. It's not my... Oh, no. Far from it. But look, stick with what I'm saying. This required debates and memos and meetings and, 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 and to then try to create policies so here we are in our country right now in the middle of the same messy thing. I think we should talk more about this. Some people are advocating for racial justice, equality, equity, inclusion, all of those things. Great. Advocate. Speak as loud as possible, as articulately as possible. Hear the challenges, the pushback, whatever. Other people are advocating for the other. At some level, all of this stuff has to devolve into practicalities of, are we going to pass a law? Is it going to be a committee? <laughs> like, who's going to be on the committee? It has to go into the implementation, yes. Personally, that's the boring part. I don't want anything to do with that. I'm grateful that there are other people. Right. I'm going to be one of those people talking uh, at a high level about what I think is the right thing to do. And other people are going to be responding to me at a high level saying that's, you know, but, but at the end of the day, if it's going to be anything meaningful, it's got to get into management governance, laws, policies. I think that ultimately, when it comes down to the disagreement between me and Glenn on this issue of equity is like this. He's saying he deserves a booster or, or whatever it is because others are ahead of him and because the others persecuted his people. My question then would be to him, do your people need to give reparations to those that you persecuted back in Africa? Because whoever came here, 
they persecuted others. Well, yes, and. Maybe not on an individual level, but slavery did not start with uh, taking innocent people from Africa to this continent. So, yes and no. Yes, you have a valid point, and it starts to at some point break down. That's, the, that's exactly my question. Like, let's find the Amalekites and send them checks because of what the children of Israel did to them. Yeah, like, right. Like, then here's my question. Why is that important? Is it, is it related to the hypocrisy thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll tell you. I'll tell you. If he would have said, because equity is a moral imperative, and these are the reasons why, one, two, three, four, then I would have said, okay, either I agree or I disagree. But you're making a moral argument. You're making a just argument. His argument was monetarily. An economic advantage and disadvantage. I got it. I see what you're saying. Right. And that is where I don't understand. If somebody comes to me and says, because it is wrong to have done that, therefore you need reparation. Okay. There can be also monetary consequences because... America have not recognized the pain and suffering, and therefore we need to do a reconciliation. Fine, that, that, that's a moral argument, just like Germany was destroyed and it was rebuilt. The Marshall Plan, right. Exactly. That's a moral argument. And this is where actually I suspect the fact that a rabbi, a scholar, a theologian, a leader of a religious community who also is a businessman, a nonprofit CEO, et cetera, et cetera, is going to have a different standard for what the claim needs to be than an ex-convict, secular, social justice advocate who's started some organizations and had some success and has been paid to speak and, and now has a real estate investment company who's trying to build black wealth. Yeah. I actually think it would be useful to reveal this different starting point in the conversation, because if you were not a rabbi, but were a Jewish real estate investor, and then your primary lens was looking at it from the perspective of, hey, my mission in life is to empower Jewish families to build wealth, you might come at it from the monetary point of view. Yeah, maybe, maybe. But that is what, if you would have said it's a moral imperative, we need to address a wrong, even if it is with $1. Okay, like, but he said, it will take me 200 years to give to my children what the Kennedys have. But who says that you have to give what the Kennedys have? Except for that seems what he wants. Fine, but then you cannot demand it based upon suffering that you did not suffer. I think this is great because it reveals, we didn't get there in the, in the actual conversation with Glenn, but I think we could have revealing the presuppositions that inform the position. I think that's helpful. I think clarifying, look, I want to hear the moral imperative because then you have my attention and him realizing, oh, you're right. I come at this from the monetary advancement point of view because that's the work I'm doing now and committed to. I want black people to have more money. And because he wants his children to have exactly like the Kennedys. And I'm like... You will never be able to achieve that because in every society, you have those who have more and those who have less. If I have an aspiration or I hope that my great-grandkids will have a trust fund, okay, then work hard. And this country gives opportunity to work hard 
and to advance and to create a trust fund for your great grandkids. I don't think we're going to find convergence, by the way, on this one. I really don't. And I think it's super helpful to have some of these issues come out in the open. One of the opportunities we have with this show as we have some of these more interesting conversations that don't just follow a typical interfaith framework, I actually think there's an opportunity for this show to get beneath the surface of things. I think we've started doing that more. I think you and I both are inclined in that direction. And and what that means is we're going to have to figure out ways to be even more comfortable with the lack of agreement, which I think you are inherently, you are. I, I, I am okay. I am okay. And again, I understand that I come to this specific topic with a baggage of ignorance for all the reasons that I mentioned. It's okay. So I'm learning. And as I said, it bothered me. And I have to be honest and, you know, I'll be honest with you. It bothered me when he said, you know, at a certain point he felt like, oh, I'm a racist. Why? Why? Because I disagree with you? Here's what I don't think he said fully, but I think he meant Now, I don't know that he meant so, but I think this is what he meant. I think he meant he's trying to be mindful of his own knee-jerk reactions and the ways in which it would be easy for him to justify something to himself about the conversation and like, well, look, this guy, clearly. In other words, I think by sharing that with us, which he didn't have to do, I think he was trying to acknowledge what it looks like in practice to be dealing with oneself between your own ears at the same time as you're having these conversations. Just like if somebody disagrees with uh, Bibi, I say, oh, you're an anti-Semite. That, that is basically what you're saying, that it's similar to somebody calling everybody an anti-Semite just because they disagree on something about the state of Israel. Right. If I was having a conversation with somebody and we started talking about the Palestinians in some way, shape or form, and somehow the conversation came out of this, and all of a sudden they jump straight to the Holocaust. We're not talking about the 40s and 50s. We're talking about something else, right? But if someone goes straight to the Holocaust in response to a conversation about current challenges, it would be easy for me in my own head to go like, oh, crap. All right. This is clearly this person. Blah, blah, blah. And then to disengage. And then I have made up a stereotype in my own mind about that person. But I didn't actually hear them out because I decided this is who they are. But that's not right. That's not fair for me to have made that judgment in my head. And I also think it's an acknowledgement of the conversational environment we created with Glenn that he was even willing to say that because he was trying to, I don't think it came across this way to you necessarily, maybe it did. I think he was trying to own it and tell one on himself by saying that. He was trying to say, I'm sitting here listening and there's moments where I have this emotion welling up and I catch myself. Okay. That's my take. Yeah. I I don't know if he meant it in that way or... I think you're racist, but because I am so cool, because I am so awesome, I brought that sentiment down so to be able to continue our conversation. No, no, no. I actually think there's something different here, but I think this is, again, my interpretation. Remember, you started this conversation. You even said to me yesterday, I am not a racist. He started this conversation by saying to us, I think everyone's racist. So I actually think on this issue, it's that only. Like he's, We would need to define what is a racist. Exactly. Well, yes, yes. Because if a racist means that I think, aspire, desire, want, act, or any of these uh, verbs against another person due to their ethnicity, religion, blah, 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 bl
Dad, no, I'm not a racist. This is why racism is hard to talk about in this country, because we have collectively come to understand racism as the explicit words and deeds of hateful people. Right. And because we are not hateful people. Right. And we associate the label racist with the explicit words and deeds of hateful people. If somebody implies we're racist, we have a very strong reaction. We denial, defensiveness. Correct. That I'm not. But if you tell me that I care gutturally more for my family than somebody else's family, yes. That I care gutturally more for the Jewish people than those that are outside, yes. Now, do I act upon it? Well, depends on what situation. That's right. It's very situational. This is why I feel like it's so hard to have these conversations with ordinary people because we don't have time to do the nuance and the nuance matters. Nuance matter tremendously. It matters. And, and here's where I think would be an interesting starting point, not now. I define racism as an anthropologist in a very specific way. And by the way, this definition actually puts me more on Glenn's side of things in the, insofar as I think everyone is racist. I think racism is the mistaken belief that these biological differences have any inherent significance whatsoever. In other words, even to say that I am black and you are white is to be racist because it means you have bought into some of the assumptions, the baggage that comes with that. And that's biologically not valid. And we don't deal with that. And so therefore, we carry forward a lot of baggage that we don't necessarily realize we're carrying forward. So it's very much like biologically, and I said this to you before in one of our follow-up chats, people don't realize how much variation there is in human sexuality. They literally don't know. They, they think there's the penis and there's the vagina, male and female. It's binary. And everything in, our, in the way we talk and the way we think and the way we act is actually assumed that that's the case. Turns out that's not true. There is a biological, physical, so genetics and body parts, like the two layers of biology, there is a huge spectrum of variation and difference. And if you were a doctor and you actually saw all the different kinds of things that get crudely lumped into the category of penis and vagina, you would all of a sudden realize like, wait a minute, like there's so many things. This is a spectrum. Male and female as a binary opposition is a linguistic phenomenon that doesn't exist in reality, but it's very real because our language and our constructs make it real. Race is the same thing. There is no race. There is difference. And there is no race. And it's very real. And again, it gets very pedantic, like if I got off on the, But somehow to say, look, if we think that blackness and whiteness has any inherent reality to it, we are participating in racist categorizations. We probably ought to be careful and think about. Now, add to that mixture being Jewish or not being Jewish, because you can be black Jew. You can be a white Jew. You can be an Indian Jew. You can be a Chinese Jew. You can be an Arab Jew. You can be a Western European Jew. You can be an Um Kultum Jew. You can be a Beethoven Jew. <laughs> right. Right. So, as I said, in certain circumstances, my connection to my people will trump other connections. That's right. Whether they are blacks or not, whether they're Chinese or not, it's just the fact that they are Jewish, which is another complexity in the mixture. This is why I think finding our way to language that will allow us to be flexible and to 
kind of quote unquote own it all, it would be nice to be able to say, yes, there are moments where I'm more racist than other moments. Okay. There's moments when I'm more sexist than other moments. And by the way, I'm sexist. I'm as feminist as you can get as a scholar. And I'm sexist. Just look at the way I've interacted with specific people in specific situations. Quoting Ali G, I would love to have a feminist experience. <laughs> and my wife says, it's not what you think it means. <laughs> yeah, that's good. That's good. Ali G, gotta love him. If you enjoyed today's show, please subscribe to Conversation with the Rabbi on your favorite podcast app. You can also find the latest episodes online at conversationwiththerabbi.com. For all of us here at phx.fm, I'm Adrian McIntyre. Thanks for listening, and please join us for the next Conversation with the Rabbi.